romántico molestando con una vipa me pregunta si te quiero yo te digo que no estoy lista y no quiero What is up everybody it's your boy Luis Martinez aka Big Chief Burrito and this episode of Mi Gente Show is titled What's up with this fool season 2 All right so first things first this episode was recorded four or five months ago. Chris Estrada, the creator and star of Hulu's hit TV show, This Fool, was nice enough after I reached out to him on 10, aka X, previously known as Twitter, um, to come on and talk with myself and Sophia, Sophia and I, about This Fool and about what was going to be different between season one and season two. We talked a lot about his career. It was a really great chat. I'm really appreciative of Chris. And I decided that the audio version, I was going to wait to release it when Hulu actually announced the dates that season two was going to premiere. Then they said late July and I scheduled it. And then a little thing called the WGA and SAG after strike happened. Um, and the next day I was scheduled to release this episode. So I put it on hold. I waited to see what the rules were for influencers, for reviewers, for podcasters. Obviously, they can't do new podcasts after the strike was called, and Chris himself can't promote the episode or share it or anything like that. But after speaking to him and doing some research, um, I think it's okay that we release it because it happened again several months ago, and the video has been available online uh, because we streamed it live as well for several months. And I'm excited, even if there's a strike, They're not telling people not to go to the movies. They're not telling people not to go to TV shows. We need to show that these shows have value. We need to support creatives. Specifically, Mi Gente Show wants to support Latino creatives. And I'm very excited that we got to have Chris on the show and that Hulu gave this show a second season. I put it right up there with Atlanta and Reservation Dogs. Um, and uh, in terms of the type of show it is, and I really like it. So I'm excited to watch season two. This podcast talks all about what went into it and season one, and it was a great chat with Chris. We're also, again, humbled that he accepted um, an invitation to come on me at the show. So that's what it is. Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. You can also go to youtube.com slash 2 or youtube.com slash at Mijante Show, and you can find the video version of this interview. Again, it's been up for months. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And as always, enjoy the pod. Uh, I'm not going to say let's welcome this fool because he's probably heard it 8,000 He's heard it a billion times. <laughs> But from the hit Hulu show, this fool who is currently uh, shooting season two, comedian, actor, filmmaker, Chris Estrada. Woo. How you doing, Luis? How you doing, Sophia? <laughs> Welcome, Chris. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know you have a busy schedule, man. How's how? Let's get right into it. How how's uh, how's season two coming along, man? Oh, really good. It's kind of, uh, we're just finished our fifth week of shooting it, so oh. uh, we got five more, four to five more weeks, I think. So we're halfway through, and it's been going really good. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I think it's a better season. Oh, okay. How long have the shoot days been? You know, pretty standard, like pretty long, 12 to 13 hour days. I'm at 12 hours, 12 hour days. And then I'm usually there for about 13. Oh, geez. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, what is, uh, let, let's, let's, let's get into a little bit of the background of the show. Obviously we haven't had mm -hmm. you on and, and, you know, you, you started off as a, as a comedian, as an actor, right? 
No, stand-up comedian. I started up. Yeah. I, I probably the only thing I really acted in was like uh, a lot of stand-up comedians in LA, like they make sketches and stuff like that. Especially the scene I came out of the, it's kind of like known as the alternative comedy scene in Los Angeles. That's really the scene I like kind of came out of and got buzzing. And, um, a lot of those people are kind of like, they're, they make sketches and they make stuff. Right. So th- as far as acting, that was the most acting I ever did. But really, it came from uh, being a stand-up comedian and a writer. Uh, I know you you started stand-up when you were 29, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What what prompted you to like start? Is that something you've always wanted to do? or You know, it's something I always wanted to do. I just wasn't doing shit with my life. <laughs> I was just kind of being a loser, you know? I was like, I had like... I had like three jobs and I didn't, you know, I didn't go to college. Like, so I, I didn't have like kind of an academic career to fall back on or anything. I was working like, I was working as a valet, valet driver. I was working as a catering company and working construction. So I had like three jobs throughout my life in my twenties. Yeah, I, like, I had three jobs so they can pay me what one shitty job would pay me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. damn. So, you know, I was kind of doing that for a long time, but I was always a big fan of like narrative writing and writing. And uh, I like writing. I like comedy writing. I was a big film buff. So um, when I started stand up comedy, I was just kind of like, damn, I should just it's kind of now or never. And mm-hmm. 29 is kind of a. It, you know, it's not so it's not a young age to start at. Like when I started mm-hmm. comedy, a lot of the people I was doing comedy with that open mics were. Jeez, they were like 19, 20, 21. Yeah. So, you know. I started like at 14, right? Yeah. Like yeah. And, yeah. you know, some people start really young and I started at 29, but it's kind of good. I mean, I, I didn't start, I didn't start with the intentions to like become a, become like get a TV show or I would, I really just started with the intentions of, I always wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. I think when you're, when you're writing when you're kind of writing scripts or you're writing narrative, you're kind of by yourself all the time and nobody's really, you don't have an audience for anything. And I thought, and it kind of takes a long time for people to want to read anything you have or, you know, yeah. so it, what ended up happening is I thought I always loved stand-up comedy. I was a big stand-up comedy fan and I just thought I should just do that. Cause I, I, I had lost my nighttime job. So I thought my nights were free and mm-hmm. I just, have a relationship and I was just like looking to really kind of distract myself and I started stand up around yep right at 29. Do you remember the 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 first uh so like I, I've always wanted to try stand up you know because yeah. you know I write comedy and, and I and I mm-hmm. you know I think I'm a, a, like a like a sit down comic I guess is what I would call yeah. myself like conversationally <laughs> but do you do you remember when you were thinking about doing stand up? Did you walk around like thinking about bids, thinking about like were you creating like a type five in your head, or did, or when you decided, yeah. did, you, did you just sit down and just say, okay, this is joke one, or were you always sort of thinking about stuff? I was always thinking about stuff because I was a comedy fan. I was I, I was already like consuming comedy albums for years, and I I really there was a lot. I bought comedy albums. I listened to comedy albums, and I listened to like you know stuff like comedy radio, like. I would listen to like Opie and Anthony and like, and they have a lot of comedians on, or I'd listen to podcasts. So I, I had an understanding of the world and like the vernacular, like what five minutes are, what three minutes are. So, and what bits are like, you know, what a setup, what a punch, what a tag was. And also just really like, yeah, the difference between a one liner joke and a bit. 
So, yeah, and that's really how I, I was already kind of thinking of stuff and everything I wrote beforehand was kind of that it, it, that was either scripts or like narrative was mm. I tried to write in the world of funny, you know. Was it like the mm-hmm. like the like the older comedy idols like like Pryor, Cosby, or was like Hitmish Hedberg, Carlin? What was like what 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 did you gravitate towards comedically? Oh, geez, man! Like a lot of things, really. I mean, I think um, one of my favorite uh, comedy albums was uh, David Tell's "Skank for the Memories." Um, that was a big album for me. Um, there was a comedian named Greg Giraldo that came out of New York. Uh, he had this album called "Cross Across the River." Um, there's another comedian named Maria Bamford. She had an album called Unwanted Thoughts, but I also really enjoyed George Carlin. I really liked Richard Pryor. Uh, I loved Patrice O'Neill, uh, Louis CK. Um, so I was really taking in a lot of comedy at that time. And, uh, yeah, so it, it was kind of a range of things. I liked a lot of modern stuff that I was listening to at the time, but I also like when I was in high school, like, you know, my, my buddy, my buddy Miguel, he, he would bump like he. We would chill in his car and listen to like Richard Pryor albums. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> nice. uh, uh, Patrice and Geraldo gone too soon. Obviously, RIP those yeah. guys. Um, mm. So you start you start getting into the comedy. You start walking around, and then how do you make that jump to like your first uh, open mic, or do you start practicing with your friends, or how do you how do you make that leap? You just kind of decide to go to an open mic. You find yeah. out where one is. At the time, there was a blog uh, called Split Cider. And it was, it really followed like LA comedy and New York comedy and comedy in Chicago. So they had a list of open mics. And through there, I found this website called Comedy Bureau that this guy named Jake Kroger, he's kind of like, he's the, he's a bit of a tastemaker in Los Angeles in that like he, he runs a website where you can find all the open mics, all the shows. So it's kind of your map, like your guide. But before that, I, I, one of the first rooms I went to, I just, I lived in, I was living in South Central. So. I knew of some kind of like, like black open mics over there. It's mostly like black crowds, black comedians, but they're so they were really close to like where I lived. So I just those were the first spots I went to, and then mm-hmm. after that, I started going to like um, I started going to like Silver Lake and Los Feliz and Echo Park, and then they had a lot of open mics, which was a little more of the like alternative comedy scene. Then I started going to Santa Monica, Hollywood, more like clubs, mainstream clubs and stuff like that for their open mics. That's awesome. Uh, I know that like living in LA, like obviously this is all very accessible, you know, to you, yeah. you want to enter uh, a certain industry. It's all very, it's all very much there. Um, do you find that stand-up comedians kind of support each other um, or more compete? Like what's kind of the vibe there as a community, I guess. Uh, I guess stand-up comedy is really accessible like, because you can, you can just go sign up at an open mic. Like, you know, so that's how accessible it is. And you don't have to be good. Nobody's expecting you to be good. If anything, everybody expects open mics to be bad. And you get excited when someone's good. So open mics are, I mean, stand up, I, as far as entertainment went, because I, I grew up in LA and like, you know, like I didn't, my mom didn't speak English and I was a single mom. And like, so the idea of like, entertainment being accessible didn't see, like as a consumer it was accessible because you could go right. to movie theaters you could go to like all these places but as as someone who as partaking in it because of like where i was kind of growing up and culturally and economically it didn't seem accessible to me it kind of felt like it felt like it was a world away but stand-up comedy is really accessible because you could just go like i said you could go to an open mic and just sign up and 
But what I, I would say that at least I, from my personal thought is that a lot of comedians, not all comedians, but a lot of comedians do help each other because there's kind of this saying in that when you're a comedian, you get jobs from other comedians. And I feel like I'm a testament to that because the guys I created the show with, um, Jake Weissman, Matt Inger, Bretton, and Pat Bishop, they were comedians. And they had a show on Comedy Central before this before this fool. It was called Corporate, uh, Corporate on Comedy Central. And it was a really funny show, really kind of fucked up, dark <laughs> workplace comedy. And they, you know, I knew them as comedians and they knew me as a comedian. They were a class ahead of me. They were like five years ahead of me in stand-up, but they knew me as a comic. And those were the guys that like came to me to, to like want to work on a show together. So, you know, I like, I think one one time I was asked, like, why didn't you do this show with some, like, um, what's homegirl who does the uh, homegirl, Eva? Like Eva Longoria? Mm -hmm. or? Yeah, Lang Eva Longoria. Mendez, or, Longoria. Yeah, yeah, well, Longoria, <laughs> I think, or Eva yeah. Mendez. And there's like, <laughs> why didn't you do a show with them, you know? And it's like, well, I don't know them. And they didn't yeah. know me, you know? Like, I, I come from stand-up comedy and, like, you know, I comics help each other at least the comics that i know help each other and that i'm well, friends with they yeah. help each other by also being incredibly cruel to each other right <laughs> by, by, by by letting you know when a bit's not working and you know yeah. kind of helping yeah, each other of course. out like this yeah one of the things that we've heard about stand-up comedy in terms of new york versus la is that it might be easier for a small younger comic in new york because you can you can move around the city so quickly that you can mm -hmm. go to the comedy cellar and then go Caroline's and then go somewhere else and do two or three different spots. Whereas in LA, you might have to drive all the way across town or something like that. Did you find that it, that part of it at all difficult trying to get uh, stage time or trying to make the most of it? I mean, I think you have to work hard. I, look, I'm just a big proponent. I, I love New York comedy and I think some of my favorite comedians are New York comedians. And I really do think New York has the best comedy. However, I think you can do a lot here. And I think because I'm from here and I knew the lay of the land and I, and I had a car and I knew how to get to places. I think if you just time your night out and you, you know, cause I used to, I used to do like four, four to five open mics a night. No. So, what? you know, it's, Whoa. and that's, you know, that wasn't all the time, but there's, there's really no reason why you can't, you can't do two to three a night in LA and especially pre pre-pandemic, like pre-COVID, mm -hmm. you were able to do three a night easily. Um, I think that number is probably a little smaller now. Like you probably can't do as many, but you know, I think it's just different, you know, it's a different city. You got to be out and about more. Um, did you ever, uh, did you ever make the drive down to La Jolla, down to SD? <laughs> yeah. I remember, I, I mean, I remember going down to San Diego to <coughs> do open mics, you know, nice. Because it kind of introduces you to another scene and then you can yeah. acclimate yourself to like if other comics are like, yo, this cat's from L.A. and you do well, they're like, hey, come back in two weeks from now and do my show on Saturday or Wednesday or, you know, Friday or whatever. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, thanks, Kurt, for stooping back. Kurt. Uh, um, so um, I want to get into the show, obviously, but. Um, as a comedian, um, you make that leap, you start connecting with these comics, they, they come from the show and then, and then you get the green light to make the show, you know, how did at the, at the time, did you feel like, 
like, like a lot of pressure in that situation. Like I, I'm getting this chance now and, and I don't want to mess it up. Or were you, were you pretty confident because of the team that you had around you that, that you were going to be able to make something worthwhile and that people are going to resonate with? It was all incremental. So like when we, when the guys, when uh, the guys that I created the show with hit me up to work on something together, uh, it's three guys, like I said, uh, Jake Weissman, Matt Ingerbritson and Pat Bishop. When they hit me up, my only thought was, oh, cool. Uh, it'll probably go nowhere, but I'll really learn how to do something. Like I'll really, I'll work with guys that I really respect and I'll probably mm-hmm. learn a few things. And then when we pitched the show to, to Hulu and they, they, they paid us to write a pilot, my thought was, well, I'm, I'm always kind of cynical about a lot of shit. Like I, at least I feel like I'm pretty like do me about shit. Like it's not going to work out. So my thought was, We'll do a really good, I'll learn a lot. We'll do a really good job. I'll make this pilot the way I want to make a pilot. Like I'll write it the way I think it should be written, the way I think best represents me. And then, um, but I thought we'll probably just, they'll probably say no to it, you know? (laughs) Then when we turned it in and they liked it and they gave us the green light to film a pilot, again, my thought was, well, we'll probably film a pilot, but they'll say no to it. And, <laughs> yeah. But at least I film a pilot. Like at least I shot a whole pilot and I know, and I probably got a new set of skills and that will help me in the long run. But when they said yes to it, I was like, oh shit. And really, I mean, again, it started, to, it started with the same thing again. I was kind of like, well, we'll do a season and they yeah. probably won't give us a season two. Yeah. But at least I did a whole season of the TV show. <laughs> and then you got a season two. Skills. Yeah, and then I got a season two. <laughs> I feel like if I just keep not believing in whatever I do, I think, um, I think I'll probably. It's the opposite of manifesting. You just got to be cynical and say it's not going to happen. And then it happens. It's not going to happen. It's like when you're with a girl and you're like, I'm going to try to grab her butt. She's probably not going to let me grab her butt, but at least I tried. And it's like, hey, she let me grab her butt. Let's go. Let's let's keep going. (laughs) And you catch a case after. All right. And then, you know, the cast, because obviously, you know, Frankie Quinones uh, obviously comes on. Then you got like Michael Imperioli all of a sudden in in there. Like what what was it like getting all these people like seeing these names on the call sheets? Like, were you part of the casting process for that and like making recommendations as well? Yep. Yeah, I was part of the casting. Um, I was an I'm an EP on it. So and I'm one of the writers. So me and my my showrunners, we we kind of share, we do everything by committee. It's four of us Mm -hmm. and we do everything by committee. And so Frankie kind of came because he, he's a, he's a friend of ours. He's not only a friend of mine, but he's a friend of the showrunners. They know him as well from stand-up comedy and we all have mutual friends. And I used to go on the road with Frankie as a comedian. And um, so when it came to auditioning him, you know, we asked him to audition and he, he was great. He was so funny and he made the character more, he made the character more human in a funny way. So, you know, it was really easy to want to work with him. Just just having, being a really good friend with them. And then Michael Imperioli came from, they wanted us to offer it to a big name. And I was walking around with a friend one night, this was during the pandemic. And I was like, man, they want us to offer it to someone. And I was like naming names. And he said, you should offer it to Michael Imperioli. And my thought was he'll never say yes. Like, you know, Right. And then mm-hmm. he said, no, you'd be surprised. Like, I, you, you never know. You should ask him. And then we offered it to him and he said, yes. And that was the best case scenario, because aside from being a big like Sopranos fan, I, I like all the other stuff he's done, like Summer of Sam and all the yeah. other work 
and like it's so against type it's so against his type mm-hmm. it's like a complete departure from like his other yeah stuff. and that's yeah. what was interesting and i think he helped make the show he gave it more gravitas and we wanted a my goal was to write a character that didn't feel like white savior i think uh i think a lot of tv when they write these characters and they write them in, in a way that these characters are very condescending because i there is that there you i mean white saviors do exist and they, a lot of them do kind of pat themselves on the back. But I just thought to myself, like, you know, if we kind of write this way in the character that, like, in the way that, like, some of the re- political figures are, like, kind of activists that I like, that are white, that, you know, they just happen to be white. And they're mm-hmm. like, you know, like uh, somebody like Bernie Sanders or yeah. Chris Hedges, you know, someone like that who's just like, they just feel like they're kind of fighting the the, the right battles and not make a mention of their race or who gives a fuck if they're white, you know, like mm-hmm. I just thought it was a good challenge to, to have this guy be white and not make him a white savior. Definitely. Oh yeah. And I also enjoyed that, you know, like you said, like, like the, like Frankie brings like this, 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 this level of uh, authenticity without mm-hmm. becoming a caricature, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's been, yeah. You know, so, so a lot like, of the characters, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Yeah, go ahead. It just it, it felt like it's 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 authentic and it's and it's funny because it's relatable, but it doesn't it doesn't approach parody or caricature. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wasn't interested in that. I was just sort of like you know, a lot of the characters are based off of my family members, so I didn't want to one dimensionalize <coughs> anybody in my family or mm-hmm. or just anybody in my life. So I just thought, and also I think, um, like, you know, I just. Like, there's a lot of, like, sometimes when you see a lot of, like, um, a lot of cholos in entertainment, like, if it's not the American me's or the blood in, blood out, it's very cartoonish Mm -hmm. and buffoonish. Like, a lot of of buffoonery shit. And I just thought, I'm sure we can make this character very funny and while still making him feel human and not a parody. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and the idea was that if he's going to be funny or if he makes mistakes, He's not any smarter or dumber than anybody else in the show. Like everybody in the show, and one of my favorite things was I, the the guy who plays Chef Percy. He's a comedian named Jamar Neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me he goes, "Oh, what I like about this show is that nobody nobody's shit in this show." Like, <laughs> yeah. and he goes, "Like your cousin got out of prison, but you're a loser and you still live at home." Like, <laughs> so it was kind of like. You know, nobody's better than anybody. Everybody's kind of equally flawed and everybody's equally dumb in a way. Like everybody mm-hmm. makes mistakes and everybody has those moments where they look like idiots. So I didn't want to just pin that on the Luis character. I wanted to make sure that everybody looked. The, uh, the, um, the story goes that when um, like um, when they were doing Seinfeld, their their Bible was basically like, no hugs, no lessons learned, right? Like, you know, yeah. these characters, they, there's not going to be a lot of emotion. What, what what would you qualify as, like, the main sort of statement about about this about uh, this fool, like, in that in that vein? Well, I think it's, um, it's a pretty thematic show. So, mm-hmm. like, I think when we pitched this show, we pitched it as Friday, but directed by the Coen brothers. <laughs> so, you know... Um, I would say I don't think we're trying to make a morality play. I think there's a lot of shows that like want to educate you and change your mind about social issues. And it's not really my priority. I think that's kind of, that can be kind of boring sometimes. And Mm -hmm. 
I just I just wanted to make a show. I was really inspired by this movie called Killer of Sheep. Um, this movie, this black filmmaker made about a black family in Watts in the late, like the late 70s or 19, like 79, 1980. Mm. And it was a show, it was a movie about just a working class family in Watts, kind of working poor family. And the man of the house was this guy who was kind of, who suffered from depression. He was like existential. Mm-hmm. And he kept thinking, what is life all about, you know? And I just thought, man, that's a, that's such a great, like, character to see in the hood, you know? And I just, I don't know. I, I was really inspired by that. But I, I think we try to make, we try to make a smart come. I think we try to make a smart comedy that's also not afraid of being a comedy. I think that's kind of the takeaway. I think we kind of live in a time where it, there's a lot of dramedies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like there's shows like th- that I'm a fan of, like shows like Reservation Dogs, um, Rami, uh, Atlanta, other shows like that, that are like, they're not necessarily hard comedies, but they're mm-hmm. very, they're more on the dramatic side. And I just thought, I wonder if we can make a show that's a hard comedy, but is also smart and cinematic. And mm-hmm. that's what we were really going for. Yeah. And not everything has to be like a, a dramedy commentary on social issues. I'm like, I yeah. think that just by the fact of having exposure of a Latino community um, to the audience, I feel like that's already commentary on yeah. its own, you know, just exposure, I guess. Yeah. And, and I feel, I do feel like it's objectively funny. Is that something that you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was do? trying to make this in the comedy that anybody can enjoy that you didn't have to be necessarily Latino to enjoy it. Ha- it happens to be Latino. Uh, Latino. Yeah. yeah. It just happens it's to be that way. Funny. Yeah, we were just trying to make something that felt really smart. And I felt like we were making, I do feel like we make commentary on things. Like we try to make a commentary on class or like, you know, what it's like to work in the nonprofit sector and what billionaires are like, or what's it like when you're working class and you're a janitor and, you know, how invisible you may feel. But we weren't trying to say, we weren't trying to, I, I was trying to showcase it. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to say whether it's right or wrong. I was just trying to show the way it exists, you know? And so that was a lot of it. And um, yeah, that's what we were really aiming for. One of the, and you mentioned two show when like when people ask me like, oh, what's this fool like? I was like, it's, it's, I, I compare it, like I said, very favorably to Atlanta reservation dogs in yeah. that, yeah. in that they're very true to that, to that culture, yeah. but it's, it's a universal show. It's very, it's yeah. A, yeah, so, so and that's what I like experience. about those shows. Yeah, we were really in, really inspired by Atlanta, and then um, around the time that Reservation Dogs came out, I was also very, very like taken back and inspired by Reservation Dogs. Another uh, brilliant piece of casting myself was uh, Hassan Johnson uh, from oh, yeah. uh, from the from the Wire. The Wire. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like oh, it was very, very yeah. awesome to see him pop up. Yeah, I was, I was such a Wire fan that it was just felt. I was just excited to like work with someone who was on the wire uh yeah i had uh carlito uh who, who um who was uh played naming his son on the show uh, on my other on my other show so i was like oh i got dope. the connection there it's dope um so the casting the show happens you know and then you, you're basically saying i mean, i get to make the show but it's not gonna work I, I get to write the show but it's not to work i get to film the pirate but it's not gonna work and then the show's a hit yeah. like when does when when does that text hit you or when does that news hit you and and like how does that affect you like how does the do you do you have a, do you do you, do you have like a self doubt moment like like 
you know, or, or, or when it's a hit, do you, do you allow yourself to, to feel like that you, that, that, yeah, it's a hit. I know I wrote it. It's mine. Yeah. Like, uh, yes and no, really just kind of more consumed with the work, you know? So when, when we were done with season one and it came out, we were, you know, my, we were just thinking about season two. I mean, I, I'm proud of it, you know, and my like, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I sit around and kind of like go, wow, like pat myself on the back or really take it in. I mean, I take it in in the sense that like once I started going on the road as a comedian, I, you know, people, a lot more people were coming, you know, mm -hmm. because, some, you know, before the show, I was, I was a stand, being a stand up comedian. People would come out based on the fact that they wanted to do something that night and they, yeah. they didn't know who they didn't know who the fuck I was. You know, they just came out to see me. But like they just came out to see comedy. But yeah. then, uh, you know, I noticed that when I started going on the road and people started coming out because they were they were fans of the show. Therefore, they wanted to see me. And that was the big one that I noticed in terms of like being able to draw on the road like a like an audience. But um, yeah, I mean, I to be quite honest with you, I, I, I always just kind of feel more focused on the work. So um, when season one was out, I, I was, you know, I celebrated, but I was also kind of thinking, well, I want to make this is season two is what's on my mind. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice, nice. Have you gotten recognized yet? Sorry, random ass question. No, it's all good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I it, it's weird. I get recognized. I mean, it's like I, you know, it's so funny. Is I think because I think of myself as a stand up comedian at heart. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when people recognize me from stand up comedy, I'm slightly more proud of that than the show. Like, yeah, yeah. I get a little more excited about that. But when I mean, a lot of people when I do get recognized by the show, it's really nice, especially if it's people who like. I get excited by the different demographics that recognize me. You know, I get like Latinos, uh, you know, black people who recognize me, older white people who recognize me. Like what? That's, like, that's surprising. Yeah. Or a that's lot of cool. older white people or just white people in general who recognize me young and old. Uh, when I went to, I was performing stand-up comedy in Arizona and a lot of native Americans came out from, you know, so that I thought that was, and they were big fans of the show. So it was really cool to see that kind of, yeah, that it resonates with people. Universal. Yeah. How 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 tough was the the acting part of it? Was it like will was it like uh like season one Seinfeld, season one uh the um, first prince of Bel Air, did you feel like or or were you kind of feel did you get coaching on set or how did that happen for you? I mean it it was hard because I'm not a formally trained actor, you know. I was like I mean, I remember when I was writing the show with the guys, I said, man, who do you think we should cast as the main character? And then they said, well, you. And I was like, you sure? And they were like, yeah. They, and it also became because they came out in their own show. Like, they said, yeah, if we were in our show, you could be in your show. Like, you know. And I thought, all right, cool. And it was hard because I took it, I tried to take it seriously. You know, I, I like, even though I wouldn't say I'm an actor per se, like, I like acting and I wanted to take it seriously because I think it's an art form. So, you know, I was working with an acting coach and I took it pretty seriously. So I was just, yeah, it was hard in the sense that I, I devoted time to it or no. tried to devote a lot of time to it and really learn from the craft. Did you um, grow to love it or like if you had to rank from comedy, writing, acting, um, what would you say comes first? 
Obviously comedy, mm. right? I just say comedy and writing, you know. Uh, but I do like being in things. I mean, I think the thing about it is I sort of like that control factor of like if I wrote it, I want to be in it because I know what I wrote and I know yeah. how I want it to be conveyed. So, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I enjoy acting. I think it's really cool. But I, I think writing and stand-up comedy comes to me first. But, uh, I mean, I'm acting's amazing and it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge I really, it's an art form I really respect and it's also really challenging, you know, to really connect and whatnot. And yeah, I really like it. Absolutely. We are live talking with Chris Estrada from Hulu's hit show, This Fool, got picked up almost immediately for a season two. They're in the middle of production right now. When is season two going to come out, Chris? Do you know yet or? Uh, likely August, same August. as last year. Same nice. as last year. Nice, nice. And hopefully we get, like last time, we'll get a, quick resolution we'll get season three happening i know i know it's probably i know it's probably too late it's i know it's probably too late for season two but if you need an extra you know background latino or you need like an extra (laughs) an uh, an, an angry chick at a quinceanera or something you know what i mean we'll we'll make the we'll make the drive up for sure man um I want to ask you a couple of real quick questions sort of about how about the show's perception and then and then we'll do a quick a bit and then we'll let you go but we, I was prepping for a re, we um, shout out to um, and I saw your bit on uh, with uh, Mr. Big Brown Dad where you did the your morning routine with him. Shout out Mestizo Coffee. Yes, uh, he did. Uh, he's been on our show before. But yeah, um, nice on Polly the Latino Slant, he was like, "Hey, do you want to come on this panel with a couple of other people? We're going to talk about this fool uh, Rosa mm-hmm. Parra from Latinx Lens and from Rotten Tomatoes." And I did a little research, and there was this podcast or this show that you did. And it felt to me like it was a couple of white people and mm-hmm. it, and and some of the questions they were asking me felt to me like they hadn't really watched the show because they're like, it feels like a love letter to Los Angeles or something like that or something, which I didn't really feel like you were putting into the show. Like I felt your show was more like not necessarily a love letter, but like a realistic portrayal of your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do get people. Um, non-people of color, I guess you would say, that that are talking to you, reviewing your show. Do you do you get any sort of weird vibe from them in terms of how they're covering it? Do, do you feel any sort of way about that? Or was that me just basically just sort of looking too deep into it? No, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think some people really get it. I think there was a person that, there was a really great, it's a really great TV critic. <laughs> I mean, and I, I would say she's great, even if she didn't like the show, she's really spot on about things. But I forget, Catherine, I'm forgetting her last name, but she wrote um she wrote a really great article on the show which the title was this fool is what streaming comedy should be and she had a really smart take on the show i thought and she she had a really good analysis of it that i really enjoyed and i was really proud of that i thought oh that's great that she's kind of seen it in the way that i try to make it or I try to for it to come off. And then there's also kind of critics who thought we weren't like there was somebody from the AV club who kind of shit on the show, but I don't think he had a context for the show. Like I, I think I, I thought to myself, this is a guy from the Midwest, like a white dude from the Midwest. I don't think he has a context for Latinos in South central Los Angeles or in LA in particular. So I don't think the show made much sense to him. You know, I think he he was talking about the show, the way the characters talk. And he said that they're kind of like brass or they don't speak well. And I go, yeah, but that's because 
I'm portraying the way I know the characters to speak in the world that they're from. And if you're not from that world, it's not going to mm-hmm. sound like, I think a lot of those kind of writers, what they, a lot of those critics is what they like is they kind of like characters who you almost, it, it's like when a Harvard writer writes a character from this working class world <laughs> to sound very not like they're from the world, Yeah, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but I, I think some people get it. I think some people don't. That's okay. I mean, it's like, whatever, you know, people are going to, they're allowed to think what they think. That's absolutely. It's almost like they expect all the characters to write like Was they're, uh, like they're, they're one of those like teen dramas where all the teens talk like they're 45. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Was the was the was it by the vulture? I'm looking at a um, yeah, it was by vulture. The review. Look, look, I'm curious just because say that she portrayed with who? What she really she really seemed to understand the show. uh, Her name was this fool. Yeah, I got it. Sorry if I'm coming away. My wife. Oh no, no, no. No, no, not a problem. It's it's by Vulture. The article was called This Fool is What Streaming Comedy Should Be. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, she had a really great like take on the mm-hmm. show, I thought. Her name is Catherine Van Arendonk. Uh, she, you know, I think there's some writers who, some critics who who don't come from the world who, who get it. And I think there's some that don't, you know. That's yeah. kind of the nature of it. You know, when you create yeah. art, you're going to be critiqued and uh, yeah, somebody and, who uh, used to live and die by av club they did fall off over the last couple of years they got rid of a lot of their key writers and stuff like that and they replaced them with a lot of people that were new to the industry as well so i might have something yeah. a little bit to do with it as well you know yeah. not to sh- not to shit on the av club but you know they did yeah. fall off a little bit um i did want to ask you a little bit um just in terms of like you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of um you know, there's in terms of just Latinos in media, you know, we, you know, we, we, we talk, we obviously it's the show's called Mi Gente Show. So we really do talk about issues that pertain to Latinos in entertainment. Um, but there is this sort of thing about like, you know, we're only allowed to have like one show at a time. Like, you know, we get Vida and then we get one day at a time. And then, then we get Gordita Chronicles until that gets canceled. And then we get this and then we get this fool. Was there any pressure, you know, because of that, just because of the fact that that it's kind of like in the space and entertainment, we're not getting the the chance to have multiple shows. I always talk about the fact that I want to get Latinos to the point where we can be mediocre because we can, yeah. you know, because it seems like for us to succeed, we have to be at the tippity top. We have to make an incredible show. And there's thousands of movies and TV shows that get made just that are just regular, you know, that was there any added pressure because of that? Or, or how do you deal with that? I guess I just didn't really, I guess I never, I didn't think of our, I didn't think of this full the same as those shows. And not to say that those shows are bad or that I just didn't think of it as the same. I kind of thought it was pretty different from many of those shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes, I don't know. I mean, I guess there was, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about the best show I could make. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about like, you know, like when I was trying to write the show, I wasn't thinking about representation. I was just thinking about what's the best show. Like somebody, you know, sometimes I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to represent anybody because the show's kind of loose, loosely based off of my life. So, and like where I grew up. So I was really more concerned with trying to make a show that felt accurate to where, to my life. I wasn't like, 
I didn't want to take on the burden of going, this show is going to be like the big pressure. So you were just trying to focus on like the immediate. Yeah. 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 So, well, yeah, just, I, I I saw that. I I remember seeing that those shows got like canceled or they got went to another network or whatever, but you know, I, I guess I just didn't think of them as the same. Like, Mm -hmm. like I wasn't trying to make a show like those shows, which is not, and like, that's not to say that those shows are bad or anything. I just, I was trying to make something different and I just, so I just kind of was like, yeah, I didn't really think about it. I was just trying to make. I think that was like the same lane, right? You thought you were just kind of like coming at it from a different place. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay. Got it. Makes complete sense. Uh, Sophia. I mean, it's good. Yeah, and well, it's good when you don't just like, you know, think on the macro scale and because I feel like that's a lot of pressure to, to have to write something that's like representative of the Latino community. You're never yeah. going to please everybody. So I think, yeah, yeah, I think when you, when you, when you kind of write with representation in mind, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is you get a check, you, it starts feeling like a checklist, like you go, okay, now I got to represent these people. And then I got to represent this, this yeah. orientation. And then I got to represent this and this. And I guess I, I, I wasn't, I think, I think when you, it feels inorganic when and I thought to myself, I, I just, I, I, we're all different, you know, like, so like, I just thought to myself, like, I can't, I can't think about writing a show about representing Latinos because, you know, like, my parents are immigrants. I grew up with a single mom. She's from Mexico. My parents are from Mexico and I grew up working class. That's very different from the way, like, Cubans or Venezuelans grow up in Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very, you know, they they predominantly come from upper middle class. So we don't, while we may have a shared kind of language and sense of culture, maybe. And I just, I just thought to myself, that, that's not really, I, I can't even, and also like, I mean, I grew up where, where I grew up, it's like a half black, half Latino neighborhood. And that's who I grew up with. I, I couldn't think about like, well, how do I, cause people in East LA grow up with predominantly only other Latinos, you know? So I, or like, you couldn't you make know, everybody you, happy. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I was just really trying to focus on what I, what I wanted to see from where I grew up and, and not just that, but like, yeah, just the, kind of the kind of things I wanted to see instead of representing everyone. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess the, the the thought is obviously, you know, whether it weighed on you and if it didn't and if you were looking at it from like a fresh perspective of not really trying to, it's probably better for you creatively not to have all that onus on you placed of you of like, you know, representing for the entirety of the community, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to try, try not to think of that. Like I was trying yeah. to just go, I just write the shit that I want to write. Look, it's as also a, as personal a, experience. Yeah. Go ahead, Liv. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Like I said, as a, as an immigrant and you know, mm-hmm. child of immigrants, and as a Colombian, but that I've been in, 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 I've been surrounded by Mexicans in San Diego for the last twenty years. So <laughs> it was, you know, it, the show spoke to me tremendously because our family's favorite president was Reagan because of the eighties mm-hmm. amnesty as well. Yeah. Uh, and working in corporate America, we had the giant toilet paper rolls from work, you know, the, yeah. the stuff like that. And and uh, I've literally had. I've literally been in the situation, not with a cousin, but with a friend of mine. I was like, come on, man, why don't you smoke some crystal? That scene scene right there was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how it was like, that's so true to life. And so like, very specific to the experience right there. That was, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole show. 
Yeah, thanks, man. I, I love those darker scenes. I just like yeah, some of the yeah. darker elements of the show. Absolutely. I did want to just ask you real quick your thoughts, yeah. and then we're going to do a quick bit, and we'll let you go. We're talking with Oh, good. Chris. I got all the time. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay, yeah, I got it. No, I just don't want to. Oh, sure. Uh, thanks for everybody that's doing this. Hey, what's up, Mellows? Dropping on saludos. What's up? What's up? Uh, Kurt had said earlier, comedy is oversaturated these days. Unfortunately, so many people are doing it or trying. <laughs> I guess. I mean, there's a lot of people trying to break into the industry all the time. Um, I did want to get your thoughts because, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, comedians helping each other. And then also in the industry, Latinos helping each other in the film industry. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the uh, Ralph Barbosa, George Lopez situation where, you know, he was brought up in terms of like, you know, who is he? You know, George Lopez did the whole thing where, um, you know, somebody didn't shake his hand when he was a comedian and, 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 he, and he held on to it. And then all of a sudden he's in this other situation. What did you did you have any immediate reaction to that? Not really. I mean, I'm like, uh, I know Ralph a little bit. I met him like a year ago and I don't know George Lopez, but yeah, it just struck me as a comedian talking shit. I mean, I think to a lot yeah. of people, people were like, oh, oh my God. I mean, he didn't say he wasn't funny. He, I, I truly think, I just, I just think he doesn't, he's an older guy. Yeah, and he's not going to see him. He's not going to pop up on his Instagram feed, you know. It's yeah, not. he doesn't know who he is. So, which he should pay attention. I mean, I think it's good to stay relevant and know who young comedians are, you know, like who they are and, you know. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he was wrong, clearly. I mean, like Ralph does very well, and he's a very funny guy, and he's a good stand-up. But yeah, I guess I just thought, I just thought, he just sounds like an older dude that doesn't know. And, you know, out of touch. Yeah, I just thought, he, I mean, he, shit, he probably doesn't know who I am, and that's okay, because I'm, I'm a, you know, he's older than me, and we're, we're from a, it's different generations, uh, mm. you know. It's like I always say, it's like, who cares, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I always said, somebody one time told me, someone, some, somebody said, oh, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm a comedian. And then I said, well, I've never heard of you. And then I thought, I said, well, who gives a fuck? My mom doesn't know who Jerry Seinfeld is, but that doesn't mean I'm <laughs> not a comedian. Like, you know? I love that. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I think he said something about, like, just worry about yourself. Um, you know, I, that's how he thinks. That's how he thinks. You know, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a good way of thinking, but you know, I don't know if that's, he, he's allowed to think whatever the way he wants, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that. I don't think it's healthy, but you know, it's not, I don't know. He's allowed to think whatever, you know, uh, you said you were influenced, uh, or that you watched a lot influenced by movies and stuff like that. Just because we were filmmakers here, was 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 there like what was? Do you, do you have like someone's that that were super important to you growing up, or like the first movie that you like watched over and over? Yeah, that really affected you. I um, was a big fan of the Coen Brothers, so I, I I really love Raising Arizona. Absolutely. Yeah, Raising Arizona was a big film for me. Um, love that movie very much. Fargo was a big one. Um, Hudsucker Proxy. Yep. Hudsucker Proxy, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink. Um, I was a big fan of those movies. I was also a big fan of just kind of like, you know, um, I liked a lot of Italian films at the time, like The Bicycle Thief and uh, uh, mm -hmm. El Strada and, nice. you know, those kind of neorealist films. Um, nice. I liked a lot of like, you know, Killer of Sheep was a big movie I liked. Um, but I also like, 
like comedies, American comedies like Midnight, uh, Midnight Run was a big film that I like. Uh, I love Friday. Friday is a big yeah. film that I love. Um, so yeah, I, I was really taking a lot of, I, I just love movies. So a lot of I, everything from independent films to foreign films to kind of big American comedies I really like. Would you ever uh, get into, or, or have you already directed uh, and produced as well? I haven't, I've only produced, I haven't directed, but I'd like to. Um, hopefully if we get a season three, I, I'll get a chance to direct an episode. It's, uh, yeah. I did, I did want to ask you a question about that now that you mention yeah. it, because you're, you know, you're a comedian, you're starting off, this is your first show mm-hmm. and it does well. You know, you get the okay that's unexpected. Then you get season two. How do you leverage trying to get everything that you want visual from your visualization of the show versus not wanting to like push the envelope, not wanting to act ask for too much, not ask, you know, how do you how do you balance that? Does that kind of with your team or do you sort of make a conscious effort like we want to ask for this, this, this for season two, but we're not gonna ask for these things because we want we want we want Hulu to keep liking us and to keep but we don't yeah. want to become a burden. Is, is, yep. is that, yep. how do you balance that? Um, a lot of it comes from me and the guys that I do the show with. We want, we're all kind of in tune in terms of the comedy we want to make and what we want to see and the stories we want to tell. So, you know, I think a lot of it is, I mean, we would never ask for anything too crazy because we like a show that's kind of grounded and a little surreal. So it's not like we would say, Hey, give us a thing because we're going to make a huge action movie or we're going to make a sci-fi episode. That's not the kind of show we are anyway. So this fool in space. Yeah. Fool in space so the yeah. yeah. The musical. So, you know, I think a lot of it was kind of like knowing firsthand the kind of show we want to make and then explaining it to them, you know? And so, yeah, I think a lot of it is that. And then knowing tonally that we want to make a grounded show. That's a little weird. So that never gets too crazy, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Sophia, did you have anything else for Chris? I wanted to know, like, from, because you said the show is based on personal experiences of yours and that a lot of the characters are based of people that you know. Do they know who the, the character is based off of them? And what do they think about that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like, you know, um, the Frankie plays a Frankie Quinones plays a character named Luis who plays Julio's cousin, mm-hmm. who's really inspired by my cousin Luis. <laughs> like I just named him Luis, and I kind of <laughs> asked him if it, I asked him if he was okay with it, and he said yeah. And you know, I think he enjoys the show. He he knows that the character is not exactly him. Mm-hmm. He knows that situationally, the character is him, but not exactly him. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that the character Julio is not exactly me. It's like, it's a version of me maybe, but it's not really, it's not me a hundred percent. Like a more over-exaggerated version. Yeah. And then even, I mean, I, like all the other characters are people understand in my family that they're a represent, like my mom's a janitor. My mom was a janitor. She retired this year, but she was a janitor for like almost 30 years. And so she understood that, you know, the mom character was a representation of her, you know, and that like, you know, my mom used to bring toilet paper home from her janitor job. <laughs> and so she, she, it was clear to her that she understood that. that. And, you know, I try to be respectful of my family. So I would ask them, Hey, I'm going to write this thing that I think is kind of funny. And there's like a story to it. Are you okay with it? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they were they were cool with it. And is the Maggie character based on like multiple different parts of different girlfriends or is one specific? That, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I think it's based off of like two or three girlfriends that I had like throughout my 20s, you know, oh, just kind of like, you know, kind of shitty relationships where nobody was at. It, both parties were at fault, you know, so it, it was really kind of based off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then spoiler alert, but the scene where you uh with the uh engagement ring and the 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 kicks that 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 yeah. also another that that sent me that was like uh, out of this world man. Um, oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so what can we expect for season two? Like what is this a, is it like a because I know you were um that the end the, the that the season finale sort of was like you 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 weren't sure where it was gonna go or if you know it's like did you sort of write it ambiguously for that reason? No, we just write it. We we wanted to write a season where it this it was the story for the season because we just thought we want to be cinematic about it. We want to write the way we want to write narrative in the way that films write themselves in the way that films are written. So, uh, Matt Ingebrigtsen, one of my co-creators, it was his idea to close down Hugs Not Thugs, and he said, and he said, I think it's a good idea because if not we can become a workplace sitcom and that's not the kind of show we want to create, you know, where you're always returning to the same place. And, you know, we're not trying to make a version of the office or, and then, Mm -hmm. so he said, I think it's good to close it because it, it'll force us to think of a new world, like a new thing. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was a, I thought that was a really good idea. And I thought it was like, I knew it was a good idea because it was a scary idea. Like it was kind of, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, let's just have a workplace sitcom. And, but like I said, that wasn't the show that was in season one anyways. It was like a little bit of everything. It was like, mm-hmm. it was more of a character study on these characters more so than it was about a world. So I, you know, we wrote it to end that way intentionally. And then I guess from season two, what you can expect is um, the world sort of changes. And I think it's a grittier season, like, it's a little bit of a grittier season and probably a little less family stuff, which I, I I wanted to make sure of to have a little less family stuff. I'm not interested in making a family show or, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of keep going down that rabbit hole of character study of like who this character Julio is and who is this character Luis is and Mm -hmm. uh, more of Michael Imperioli this season, his character. Yeah, so the idea was really to just, yeah, force ourselves to think of a new way to revisit the world and make it new again. Oh, it sounds challenging. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to see season two. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Like, look, if it's anything like like season one, and if you got the same team and you, you keep developing those actors and, and you keep going out and, and allowing the creative process to, to get there, then I'm sure everybody's going to be happy. You can watch This Fool, binge it. If you haven't watched it already, binge it now on Hulu. And uh, and get ready for season two that'll be coming out hopefully during the summer. Nice. You can catch Chris Estrada doing comedy various places or around the country. Are you mostly staying on the West Coast right now for comedy, or are you also traveling for that? I travel. I'm mostly in 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 LA up until April because I'm filming the show. But once that's over, I'll kind of be doing comedy around like different parts of the country. But uh, people can find out where I'm at at uh, I'm on Instagram at Chris Estrada Comedy. And then Twitter at Chris Estrada eighty five. 
Absolutely. And Chris, we're going to do one last thing with you before we let you go. It's, a, it's something that I like to do with all our guests. Yep. And it is something, if I can find the intro for that, <laughs> I always lose it. Uh, it's something that we like to call, here it is, here it is, here it is, the bracket bit. Bracket bit. Are live with Chris Estrada from a Hulu's hit TV show, This Fool, filming season two now. You can expect it in August. You can follow Chris on Instagram or Twitter and find out where he's doing comedy. This is called the bracket bit, Chris. And what this happens is I'm going to give you two options and you're just going to very simply tell me which one of them moves on to the next round. It's uh, very, uh, it's, it's literally a bracket. And uh, <laughs> for you, since you're a comedian with a TV show, we have chosen TV shows that were by comedians. So I'm going to give you two TV sitcoms that were created or starred by comedians and you tell me which one moves on to the next round. You can tell me yeah. which one you like the most, which one you would rather binge right now if you had to watch one of them which one you would prefer to have been in yourself which one you'd like to remake whatever you decide to use for your methodology you can use it i just ask that you keep the same methodology for the entire bracket are you ready right. yeah let's do it all right so let's we're gonna go. talk we're gonna go with one of the classics seinfeld or 30 rock seinfeld seinfeld we got crashing with pete holmes or the drew carey show uh, the drew carey show Carrie show. We're going to go Bernie Mac show or Parks and Rec. Bernie Mac show. Mm. R.I.P. Bernie Mac. Bob R. Newhart yeah. or The Office UK edition. Uh, the Office UK. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond or I don't know why I cut off here. Sanford and Son. You know, I'm going to say everybody loves Raymond. Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. And if you want to expand on any of the shows, whether you like them or anything, you can. Yeah, I think what. I, everybody loves Raymond. It's just a show that I grew up on more. So like, as we're like Sanford and Son, like wasn't of my era, but I really, I love Red Fox and like kind of, you know, I can appreciate it. Like, um, yeah. Roseanne or Home Improvement? Two major 80s comics here. Uh, Roseanne. Roseanne. The Norm Show or It's the Gary Shandling Show? That's a hard one because I love Norm McDonald, but I'm going to go The Gary Shandling Show. The Gary Shandling Show. And Chico and the Man, one of the OG sitcoms, yeah. or The Jeff Foxworthy Show. I'm going to go Chico and the Man on this. We got yeah, Martin. You got to roll with Freddie Prince. You got to roll with Freddie Prince, man. He's a night yeah. guy. Uh, Martin or The George Lopez Show? I don't know. That's a hard one. I mean... You can also go back to yeah. like which of the, the comedians. I mean, this is two huge comedians, and they're both of them yeah. very successful shows yeah. for, for a comedian. That was a hard one. Uh, that's a hard one. Mark, um, okay. I'll say George Lopez show. George Lopez show. Uh, Curb your enthusiasm or Whitney. Uh, Curb your enthusiasm all day. Broad City or Mad About You with Paul Reiser. I'll say Broad City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was way too excited about that. <laughs> Ellen or Master of None with Aziz? You know what? I'll go Master of None. How'd you feel about that season two just 
put this show in Italy, like, like, like. Uh, you know, I didn't care for it. I like season one. I thought season one was really artfully done and really yeah, cool. And it was, it was just yeah. a weird choice, right? It's just like, a, mm-hmm. yeah. all right, we got Full House or The Cosby Show. You know what? Bill Cosby was out there being dirty, so let's go Full House. We're going to have to cancel him in the bracket. All right, we yeah. got uh, Louis or The King of Queens. You know what? I'm going to seem bad because I was like talking shit about Bill Cosby. But, <laughs> Bill Cosby, we're going to go to Louis. But I'm going to go Louis. Yeah, right. <laughs> Problematic. I love that. Like, yeah. Cosby put up incredibly big numbers in that area. Louis, yeah, you know, you know, you know. Uh, Mork yeah. and Mindy or the George Carlin show? I'm going to say the George Carlin show just based off the fact that it's George Carlin. The Jamie Foxx show or Community? I'm going to say the Community. Ah. What? I don't remember the the Jamie Foxx show. I don't remember. Was that a sketch show or was it like a sitcom? No, it wasn't. It was a sitcom. It it was oh. like a live audience, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember it as much. Yeah. Right, it was good. Go it was that. really good. Yeah. We yeah. got Seinfeld or the Drew Carey show. Seinfeld all day. Bernie Mac or The Office UK. Office UK. Everybody loves Raymond or Roseanne. Everybody loves Raymond. It's Gary Sandling's show or Chico and the Man. Damn, I'm gonna break somebody's heart. I'm gonna go Gary Shanling show. Yeah, this is where I remind everybody that the bracket bit is created to cause maximum pain. We got George Lopez or Curb. Curb. Broad City or Master of None. Oof. I'll go Master of None. Got Full House or Louis? I'll go Louis. They're so opposite. <laughs> George Carlin doing the opposites of you. Uh, George Carlin show or Community? I go George Carlin show. All right, we're down to our final Mm -hmm. sixteen. Hey, uh, Seinfeld or The Office? That's a hard one. I think I'm gonna go Seinfeld. Yeah, did get the like thirteen seasons, right? Yeah. Um, Everybody loves Raymond or Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. Curb or Master? Curb. Louis or Carlin? I'm going to say the Louis show. And we got our final four. We got Seinfeld or Gary Shandling. Jesus, hard. <laughs> I'm going to say Seinfeld. Ooh. And we got Curb and Louis. God, this is hard too. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Louis. All right, it was, al- it was almost it was almost Ooh. a Seinfeld versus Seinfeld right there. Yeah, yeah, it was almost going to be yeah. <laughs> Seinfeld versus Seinfeld. But in the end, it's down to two masterful comedians uh, and mm. two really good sitcoms. What do you think wins for you here? It's hard because I love the more cinematic approach of Louis, mm-hmm. but I love Seinfeld because it was just kind of the one of the first shows that I really fell in love with as a kid, and I thought it was so funny and smart. So I'm gonna say Seinfeld. All right, Seinfeld. Then damn, this was this was, that was great, <laughs> yeah, man. That's challenging. You did it. You survived. You, you survived. have survived the bracket, uh, Chris. Yeah, no, I mean Seinfeld. And uh, I always ask: Is there a TV show or a sitcom by a comedian that you that I missed that you think that you were thinking? Uh, why isn't this there or another one? You know, um, dude, you you did a pretty fucking good job of covering those shows. I not. I'm sure there is. I probably can't think of one off the okay. off the dome right now. But mm-hmm. those were those were great. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, let's get four more seasons so we can put this fool on that list. Then. Hell yeah. 
you can catch Chris Estrada in uh, the Hulu's This Fool Binge Season 1, Season 2 coming out mm, soon in the next couple of months. And, you know, the other thing about Louis is the fact that he took such a small budget and he was like, I'll edit it. You know, he's editing yeah, you know, like right. an iMac. Yeah. He's, he's having full control and stuff like that. That's yeah. like, that's really trusting your art and, and betting on yeah. yourself, right? Yeah, pretty inspirational. So, Chris, man, um, absolutely love the show. Like I said, it, came, it hit me on yeah, multiple levels. The reality, the, the comedy, the fact that it's a comedy that doesn't have to be Latino, but features Latino, that you're out there doing your job, that you're not taking things too seriously. You seem to have the right attitude, the right approach to Thank it. You. So I wish you nothing but the best, man. And yeah. you know, wish and you what, and Sophia nothing but the best as well. Thank yeah, you, so thank you. And once Keep you get going. that, ju- I love once it you so. get that juice for like season four and five, where they're where they throw it at you, you just say, you know, I want Sophia in, and I want. <laughs> I want. I'm a great episode. extra. <laughs> yeah, let's get Sophia and Luis in here. Come. Yeah, just yeah. throw me like episode six and like a twelve episode. Just one put of me in the background. I'll just. Do, I'll do. I'll do. I'll do. Be you in it. I don't care. Anyway, man, thank you for joining us. We'll be in touch with you. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you for joining us, and 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 we'll let you go, man. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Take it easy. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Bye. Later, Chris. Later. Should I leave the studio? I'll I'll, I'll, I'll get you out of there, man. But I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you you guys. Thank you for having me. Truly, it was a lot of fun. Right, man. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you for giving us your time. Of course. All good. Thank you, guys. Peace out. Am I cutting in and out with my wife? Uh, (sighs) My wife. My My wife. My wife. It's not great. My Wi-Fi is not good. Is that what you named your Wi-Fi? Yes, I guess. <sighs> oh man, how you feeling? How you feeling? I was really Day. good. I like it. He is. You know what? He is like so humble. Um, mm-hmm. Extremely humble. I was. I was very surprised by that. You know, you oh, would think God. a lot of people that get a show on Hulu and kind of like, uh, uh, you know have a successful uh project especially in the first try it's like you think their head would be massive and this guy is just freaking humble loves no him. absolutely humble as you can be like the fact that he agreed to be on the show the you know the fact that he was like you know gave us his time and and stuff like that when he's obviously has you know much bigger mediums that are probably covering the show and to give us uh me hint the show a shot um to, to interview him and, and to help us out um because really you know he's the He's the one doing us the favor, right? We're not really, prom- you know, we're not, you know, we might, hopefully we get some more eyeballs on the show. You know, that's, that'd be great. But, but in reality, he's, he's, he's somebody that's, that's established. That's, that's, that's got a second show on, on a major platform. That's an incredibly well-reviewed show. Um, and, you know, it, it, I like the fact that the fact that it's one of the only, you know, Latino comedies out there doesn't weigh on him. I, I really, I really admire that attitude. Yeah, I know. It made me it made me think of like, man, I really overthink things. <laughs> like I get yeah. stressed over the little things. I really do. And then the whole the whole fact that he started stand up at 29. I'm like, I'm 28. So it, it it's very encouraging to see that people can thrive and succeed in the industry um, having, you know, what we what you would call a late start, you know. So, no, man, it's 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 incredible. And and uh, we want to really thank Chris Estrada for, for being on the show today. It was really an honor. Absolutely an honor. Um, man, it feels like we've been doing shows every day, every day, dude. I know. I'm like, and then, I mean, we're going to get, we're going to get a break and then, and then Wednesday, and then we got back, back, in, back you know, in a big way, back in a big way and, yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, hey, at least we're taking advantage of your fun employment to, to, to put some more content out there. 100 percent. 
And um, I think this was also a really big uh, opportunity for the show. And I'm glad that we took advantage of it. I think we did a good job. Yeah, I think so too. Pat on the back. Pat on the back. We're doing great. (laughs) Keep it going. So uh, thank you for everybody that tuned in. If you're listening uh, to this episode, thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, leave us a rating, share Mm -hmm. with your friends, etc. Follow us across multiple platforms, all that good yes. stuff so that you're notified. Make sure that you're right here at the bottom. Me, Hent, this show. Follow us. Everywhere. On IG. On Twitter. On Twitch. On Twitter. Um, on Twitch. Soon, we'll have a YouTube up sh- shortly. Um, yes. And uh, you know, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Chris. Sophia, uh, any personal news or anything before we get out of here? Oh, or? yeah. Right. Uh, none that I can uh, really... Think of at the moment. Uh, no, I'm blanking. What about you? None. Um, no, no. I mean, you I, do your car. Oh yes, I do have a car. My my piece of uh, my very humble uh, 2005 Honda CRV that I got yeah. uh, past month. I'm very what? happy about that. Yes. So yeah. I'm back into the world of the mobile after being stuck at home for the last seven years. So piece. I'm very happy that I get to move around at least. Uh, canceled all my uh, ca- canceled all my delivery services. <gasps> La gasp! I canceled my DoorDash. Uh, I can't. I mean, no, actually, I had Uber. I canceled Uber. I canceled Instacart. Um, all that stuff. So when I want food, I have to go out and get it and get it. Well, You're I gonna just, save so much money, though. Yeah, yeah, and just cook it. Yeah, yeah. The other day, I wanted Subway, so mm-hmm. I went to Subway, and it cost me eight dollars for a sandwich instead of twenty five dollars. Well, no. I mean, usually the thing about like delivery fee tip. The thing is, like, yeah, it's like you don't get the free delivery unless you spend more than fifteen dollars. So it's like you can (laughs) you can buy an eight dollar sandwich and then it's still like twenty one dollars, or you can spend fifteen dollars buy two sandwiches and it's still twenty one dollars. So it's like so no matter what you order, if you're getting the free thing, you're still the cheapest is twenty one twenty. It's between twenty one twenty five dollars no matter what you order from anywhere. And I went and I wanted a sandwich and it cost me eight bucks because that was what the sandwich cost. And that was it. And I was like, oh, okay. Obviously gas, insurance, security, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. That ain't nothing to a G. That's nothing. nothing. So, um, excuse me, excuse me. Um, So yeah, big stream next Wednesday. Uh, Mm -hmm. This next, this coming Wednesday, preview on the screen, we'll be doing live streams from the festival as well as other stuff. We're a week behind on episodes, but they're still doing pretty good. So we still have a few episodes in the can. We have the episode with the people from life. We have the episode with Sony and um, Jeanette as well. And we also have uh, an episode with the uh, South of Eight podcast as well. So we got more stuff coming at you. Make sure you're listening. All that good stuff. We love you. Thank you, Mijente, for sticking around. Yes. As always, Luis Martinez, Sofia Carrillo. Hasta luego. Peace out. Peace out. Bye. Vamos, papá, hay que irnos. Me estoy aguantando desde que pusieron el domo. Puedes esperar. Muchas personas trabajaron en esta película y solo quieren que se aprendan sus nombres de memoria. Y yo quiero asegurarme de que ningún animal resultó lesionado durante las imágenes de esta película. ¿Sí? Listo. Uy, palomitas en el suelo. Espérame, espérame, parece que Maggie tiene algo que decir. Es la su primera palabra.
de Escuela de Cinematografía para esto.